DeWitt Bingham. Welcome to the Justice for All podcast show, where we discuss all things social and criminal justice related, from the front end to the back end, and everything in between. You have a right to remain silent, because anything you say can and will be held against you. You have a right to an attorney. If you cannot afford one, one will be appointed for you. You're in the self-incrimination protection zone, where there is no cruel and unusual punishment, no illegal search and seizure. The exclusionary rule has you covered. So sit back, relax, and become sold on this week's episode. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Justice for All podcast show. I'm DeWitt Bingham, your host. Thank you for tuning in to the show that discusses all things social justice and criminal justice, where the goals are to inform you, the American citizen, of your constitutional rights, to provide educational and occupational guidance to high school and college students, and to be a voice for change. I'm excited about today's show, and I think my guests are excited, too, because we are in the 15th week of the 2023 fall semester at Heartland Community College. And we only have approximately one to two more weeks to go. I could never figure that out. Heartland likes to tell me that I'm getting paid for 16 weeks, but somehow it just seems like it ends up being 17 or 18 weeks. But anyway, I love doing it. And we are currently studying juvenile justice. I have a couple of great emerging adults who are going to enlighten you on landmark juvenile justice court cases. So without any further ado, I introduce to some and present to others, Holton Lorenz and Alejandro Luna. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Wonderful. All right. The title of today's show is Landmark Juvenile Justice Court Cases. So let's get right into it. The segment one is for the educational and occupational guidance of high school and college students. We accomplished this by having our guests introduce themselves. So if you would tell the audience where you were born and raised, what high school you attended, your major or planned major, why you enrolled in the class, and give us one career goal. Let's begin with you, Holton. Uh, so I was born and raised here in Bloomington, Illinois. Uh, I went to Bloomington High School. And my major is criminal justice. So that's my plan major, at least. And then the reason I enrolled in this class is because I've always been interested in true crime. And I've just always thought I wanted to do something with that. And oh. then one possible career goal for myself is like becoming some sort of, some sort of like detective or an agent. Okay, wonderful. And Holton, are are you planning to further your education after Heartland? Uh, yes, that is the plan. That's All right. All right. Wonderful. So I'll see you when you get here, brother. <laughs> okay. All right. Alejandro? Uh, I was born here, Bloomington, Illinois. I was raised here all my life, never left. I attended Normal West High School just down the street from Heartland. Wildcats. Oh, yeah. Wildcats forever. And then... Uh, my major is criminal justice. I enrolled in this class because I thought it'd be super interesting and I still do find it super interesting. I love doing the assignments and uh, it's going to help for my career goal, which is the next question is I want to be a police officer. Wonderful. And so I want to ask y'all, how has it gone? We are at the end of the semester and how has that gone for you in terms of 
being able to scroll through, navigate through everything that I put on Canvas. It's been so easy. Probably the easiest out of all my classes, to be honest. Wonderful, man. That's no, like, yeah, I agree. It's set up very, very well. All right, man. That is music to my ears, man. That's exactly what I like to hear. All right. Very good. And what about you, Alejandro? Are you planning to further your education after Heartland? Yeah, I uh, plan on going touring Western this spring. Okay. Okay. Yeah. A, a great institution in terms of law enforcement. All right. Very good. Constitutional rights. Segment two. Segment two is to inform the American public of their constitutional rights. Before we ask you to tell us what your favorite constitutional right is, let's remind the audience that to The title of today's show is Landmark Juvenile Justice Court Cases. Let's begin by letting the audience know that there are several cases that are foundation cases and very important to the juvenile justice system. The juvenile justice system has similarities to the adult system, but there are many differences that exist between the two. And that's some of the things that we're going to talk about today and try to make you aware of. And so let's begin by asking Alejandro, generally speaking, what was or what is Enray Galt about? I had that. uh, It was Jared Galt. He was 15 years old and he was uh, taken into custody for allegedly making an obscene phone call to his neighbor. And Galt previously had already been on probation the police did not leave notice with the parents or anyone else that they took him and because they were they weren't at the house at the time and then they took Gerald in and they still hadn't told them and then they finally went to court and the neighbor actually never showed up to any of the trials so there's nothing he could even do after he went to the proceeding with the juvenile court he got sentenced to he was 21 for just the one obscene phone call excellent We can't say that Galt was actually trying to rap to his neighbor, not if if the phone call was obscene, right? But relatively speaking, that is kind of minor because you're talking about somebody maybe just in terms of language-wise addressing someone. Galt was the case that actually gave juveniles rights because they didn't really have a right to an attorney. At the time that Galt was the Galt case came about, which was 1967, and the adults had already had Gideon versus Wainwright. Gideon court held that he should have had an attorney. And that case went forth in 1963. And so this is four years later that that Galt case is coming about allowing juveniles to have a right to an attorney. Our audience probably knows this already, but juveniles in the United States or the United States system basically functions and operates or is based on a term called parents patriae that it was adopted from the British, which basically argues that the court and all adults know what's in the best interest of a minor. And so there are still, as you're going to hear today, that juveniles didn't get a lot of the rights that the adults had up until even into the seventies and eighties. Generally speaking, what is Kent versus the United States about? Uh, so this was a case that dealt with the rights of young people in the legal system. And this specific case involved a teenage teenager. His name was Morris Kent, and he was like accused of robbery and rape. So basically 
the Supreme Court had to decide whether Kent should be given certain precautions before being transferred into like an adult court or adult jail. Wonderful, man. You guys have done your research. Kent sets the standard in terms of when and how a juvenile under the age of 18 can be tried as an adult and transferred to adult court. I know our audience has probably heard about juveniles being transferred to adult court. Well, what Kent does is says that, hey, you can't just transfer the person to adult court without actually doing a proper investigation and considering trying the juvenile as a juvenile as opposed to an adult. Now, there are certain particular types of crimes, particularly in the Illinois statute, that automatically qualifies a juvenile for being transferred to adult court. That doesn't mean that there should not be a process that begins in the juvenile court. Because again, we want to make sure that, or we want to make sure that there are no mental, emotional aspects or problems with the defendant or the minor that may have been driving forces to him doing what he did. So we want to actually examine as much as we possibly can before transferring that individual to the adult court. All right. What is Enray Winship about? Uh, it was a 12 year old. When they were arrested, uh, there was a charge for a juvenile delinquent for breaking into a woman's, like, basically robbing a woman, stole over $100 from them. The charge also had the Winships Act, and it had been done by an adult. It would have been larceny if they were an adult. But as a juvenile, they wouldn't give them larceny. And the, and the New York Family Court Act, which provided that determinations of juveniles' guilt be based on predominance of the evidence, and the family court found Winship guilty which was kind of basically like at the end of the case was talking about how juveniles have the right of the opposing side to show valid proof of that they did that. Yeah. Wonderful. It actually establishes that a case must be proven beyond a reasonable doubt because there was a time, as I mentioned earlier, that parents patriot that the court adults and everybody knew that was what was in the best interest of the minor. So they did not take into consideration that, principle or that process or that due process right, the level of proof being the same as it was for adult. Adults had to be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. So why shouldn't juveniles, instead of a preponderance of the evidence or instead of a lesser degree of proof that is needed? Very good. That was a 1970 case. So you can see that juveniles did not even have that right until 1970. And I'm dating myself now, but Mr. Vinga was on the earth in 1970. I know y'all wasn't. I happened to be eight years of age at that time. All right. Very good. Generally speaking, what is Breed versus Jones? So this case involved a teenager, another teenager. Uh, he had been charged with a crime in like the juvenile court system. But then later down the road, they had ended up moving him to like an adult court system for the same crime he committed. So basically, the Supreme Court had to decide whether a person could be like tried as a juvenile at first. And then if they can get tried as, a, as an adult later, like for the same crime. Wonderful. And so the issue in Breed versus Jones, which is a 1975 case. So we see this. This is up into modern age, if you will. It has to deal with double jeopardy. And so you cannot transfer a minor to adult court once he or she has been adjudicated in juvenile court. And so if you go to adjudicate a juvenile as an adult, 
you want to do that first, because otherwise to adjudicate them twice is against the law and against the Constitution. All right. Very good. Generally speaking, what is Shaw versus Martin? Shaw versus Martin was a 14-year-old boy named Gregory Martin. He was arrested for first-degree robbery, second-degree assault, and criminal possessions of weapons. And while detained, Martin lied to the police about his address. He was held overnight in jail. At his initial appearance in court, the prosecution cited a gun. Uh, the lie, and then they also cited about the lie of the address and his evident lack of supervision as reasons why he would remain in detention until his fact-finding hearing. The court granted the detention under the New York Family Court, and then uh, his fellow peers that he was with, they were also detained prior to fact-finding evidence. Wonderful. And so one of the things that the audience should know and that I would add is that this is a 1984 case. You know, I'm actually just graduating from undergrad at that time. And Shaw v. Martin deals with what we call preventative detention. And the court ruled that there was immediate and urgent necessity. And so we're dealing with pretrial detention. And one interesting point that I want to make is, is that we've been dealing with pretrial detention and immediate and urgent necessity with juveniles since 1984 in the Shaw v. Martin case. But notice that when Illinois passed the Pretrial Fairness Act that did away with cash bail, everybody was in an uproar. And it exactly is the exact same thing as Shaw v. Martin. In other words, the court still has the obligation, has the right to detain an individual that is a danger to the community or danger to themselves or may abscond and not show up for court. The court still has the obligation and ability to do that. But notice whenever they actually passed that act, everybody said, oh, crime's going to go up. Things are going to get worse. People are going to die. All the above. Fear mongering. But what happened is, is that the system was no longer getting that money. And so a lot of times we like to say that the June or the criminal justice system has nothing to do with finances or it has nothing to do with cost, but it has a lot to do with that. And then finally, generally speaking, Holton, what is McIver versus Pennsylvania about? So <clears throat> this was another case from the 1970s that dealt like with whether uh, juveniles have the right to a jury in juvenile court. So basically the Supreme Court had to decide whether like the Constitution gave juveniles a right for a jury in court. And basically they um, came to the conclusion that they don't uh, they don't have the right to a jury in juvenile court. Can you imagine that, man? Yeah. 13, not, 14, right. 15, 16, 17, 18 and 19 year olds sitting in the jury box <laughs> actually adjudicating and listening to evidence and uh, and exegeting the evidence and then making a decision as to whether or not someone who was in juvenile court actually violated the law. Now, I ain't trying to say that there aren't young folk that could not possibly do that. I know that in some jurisdictions that actually has been done on an informal basis. So we know that 
to a certain degree, it can be done. But you're exactly right. The, the Supreme Court said that juveniles do not have a right to jury trial and that it does not violate their 14th Amendment. All right. Now, let's tell the audience what your favorite constitutional right is. For my favorite one, I put the First Amendment, and I just because believe in having a big, powerful voice. And I think uh, 2023 in modern day that a big voice is something that's changed a lot. Back in the day, you didn't have like social media and all this technology and stuff. So maybe a voice didn't mean too much, but nowadays it means everything. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. Hope. Yeah, I put the same thing as Alejandro. I put freedom of speech and I just believe in like being able to say and like what you believe in and what you think what should happen. Okay. Wonderful. Yeah. Because if you don't have that first amendment, I don't think you have all the other amendments, even though we don't look at the First Amendment as part of the due process rights that, that we normally offer defendants in the courtroom. When we say due process, mainly we mean Fourth, Fifth, Sixth, Eighth, Fourteenth Amendment. But yeah, if you don't have that First Amendment, there's a lot of things that you can't do. You can't speak up for yourself. I mean, you have a right against self-incrimination. So you don't have to say nothing. And we do know that anything that you say can and will be held against you in a court of law. But you don't have to say nothing if you don't want to. But you have the right to say exactly what you want to say. Finally, is there anyone above the law or should there be anyone above the law? Begin with you, Holden. Uh, I put no, because I feel like everyone should have to follow the laws I mean, and have the same punishment for their actions. Yeah. Alejandro. I agree with Holton on that one. I said no for if there should be anyone above the law, just, and then, uh, is anyone above the law? I said legally, not really, but um, there's people out there that have their ways and have their upper hand in the system. Wonderful. Yeah. There are a lot of people that think they're above the law, don't they? (laughs) Okay. Wonderful. All right. Moving on. The last segment. Final segment, segment three, being a voice for change. As an emerging adult or as emerging adults who grew up in a predominantly white America, what say Houghton and Alejandro about white supremacy and Black Lives Matter? Beginning with you, Alejandro. I believe there is white supremacy. I think there's been white supremacy for a long time. I think there'll still be white supremacy in the future. Do Black Lives Matter? Of course, I think they they matter. I think they're taking a lot of heat right now and I think that makes them just even matter even more. Okay, wonderful. Hold for white supremacy. I agree. Like I obviously, it's still a thing, and we've been working on it as a country for the last two hundred years. I feel like at times, like it gets better, then it'll get worse. So I feel like it'll always be there. But and then obviously, Black Lives Matter. Like with everything that has happened within the last few years, is awful. But yeah, I feel like it's always kind of going to be there. Wonderful. And would you guys agree that? Where there's unity, there's strength. In other words, in terms of ethnicities, races, uh, genders, if we all come together, I mean, and respect one another and show empathy towards one another. In other words, some people are going through certain things. If you can put yourself in their shoes and recognize then maybe you can understand where they're coming from. It doesn't mean that you don't have to that you have to agree things that they do. But. It is imperative that we respect one another. Would you agree? hundred percent. Yeah. All right. Wonderful. I asked everybody that comes on the show, 
<laughs> what would you like to see the Biden administration accomplish? If you have one thing that you could ask the president, the president will say, you just speak it. You are like E.F. Hutt. When you speak, I listen. I'm going to get done whatever it is that you want me to do. So what would that be? For me, I put uh, if you would put or the administration to put more effort into lower class homes, uh, more high poverty areas in the country, uh, whether it's from housing, uh, food, uh, Medicaid, Medicare, stuff like that. I just think it needs a little bit more focus. Wonderful. I'm going to come back to that. Hope. Uh, I put get, uh, like faster citizenship for immigrants or like immigrants, because I mean, this is another problem we've been dealing with for a long time as a country. And it shouldn't take people 14, 15 years to be able to like become a like a citizen in our country. Watch out, audience. We got two young men that are being a voice for change. Yeah. Wonderful. There has been an argument for mixed housing, meaning that you should actually mix the rich folk with the poor folk. But you know what, though? The poor, the, the rich folk don't really want the poor people to be around. Have you noticed that in our society? <laughs> and to your point, Holton, with the exception of African-Americans, because African-Americans came to this country, forced, they were forced to come to this country and sold through slavery. And Native Americans were the first ones here. But everybody came here as an immigrant. And that's the thing that is kind of mind boggling that you got the opportunity to come to this country. But yet and still, you don't want nobody else to come to this country, even though they actually are running from violence. They are running from uh, situations that are not conducive to good health. So I totally agree with what you're saying, Holton. Very good. Should a convicted felon be a allowed to be president of the United States beginning with you hope um I put yeah I mean everyone makes mistakes I guess it kind of depends on how what it was but I mean I put yeah everyone makes mistakes and you see it like people can get out of jail and turn their life around and really make having a successful life all right yeah wonderful Alejandro I'm kind of in the middle here I'm more towards no uh me personally speaking, I think that uh, saying that it's a, the leader of our country, someone that runs everything, that's got to be kind of that perfect person. Wonderful. All right. A little diversity there. We like we like diversity. What about should a convicted felon be allowed to vote? Uh, I put yes again. Like like I said before, I mean, everyone makes mistakes and I feel like that shouldn't take your way for like be able to vote and vote for like your rights. All right. It shouldn't take good. away your right. OK. Alejandro. I voted yes on this one as well, just because, I mean, it's because they committed a crime doesn't, shouldn't take away their freedom with voting for the president. All right. Very good. And then finally, marijuana is legal in the state of Illinois. Do you think it should be legalized at the federal level? Beginning with you, Holton. Uh, I put yes, uh, just because, like, I know um, it can help, like, other than using, like, medications. I know people use it for that. So, I mean, I feel like if you're not using it in the wrong way, then yeah. Okay. Alejandro? I said yes as well. I said yes because there's so many states now just hopping on board and going legal as well. I think it's just going to keep growing at that point. And then soon enough, it will be legal at the federal level. 
All right. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Important juvenile justice court cases, important constitutional rights, and how to make America a better place to live. Until next time, keep living your best life. God bless and Godspeed. Thank <laughs> you.